sinless perfection. Is that possible? True sinless perfection is, and our text this morning will be from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. I hope you'll join us as we explore true sinless perfection. Our text for this morning and for this message, True Sinless Perfection, is from 1 John 3, verses 1 through 9. And you can look that up, and uh, while you're doing that, to begin this podcast, True Sinless Perfection, I would like to read a verse from a Salvation Army hymn. It goes like this. Some people I know don't live holy. They battle with unconquered sin, not daring to consecrate fully, or they full salvation would win. With malice they have constant trouble. From doubting they long to be free. With most things about them they grumble, praise God, this is not so with me. Well, if we're honest with ourselves, the verses from the Gospel of Luke chapter 18 should come to mind. It reads, Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican or a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner." But when we read our text today in 1 John 3, we might get the impression that, as Christians, we should live in sinless perfection. After all, John says in verse 6, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. I believe that every new Christian and many old Christians alike struggle or have struggled with this text, and that possibly all of their Christian lives... Today I would like to say that if you don't understand these verses, you are in good company. Many will not even read the book of 1 John because of the difficulties that it seemingly presents. But God is not the author of confusion, amen? God wants you to understand what your position is in Christ Jesus. So, as we move through these seem difficulties and contradictions, we have to first understand what and who we are as Christians. We are currently at home, so to speak, in the earthly body, which is our earthly flesh, if you can hear me. Then that's where you are. When we got saved, we found that when we looked in the mirror, we had not changed physically as far as our bodies are concerned. Our faces didn't begin to glow, nor did our eyes turn blue. Our countenance countenance didn't change like Moses's did, so that they had to put a veil over our face due to its brightness. We are the same physically before and after salvation. Then, as we begin to walk in newness of life, we found that a whole new set of circumstances was true for us. Sometimes we walked godly, and other times we didn't. Then, in realizing this, we began to fight with sin. We struggled inside of our spirits because when we should be doing righteousness, we found ourselves sinning. Talk about a battle. Until we die, and this old body is buried in the ground and turned to dust, never to live again, 
we will fight the battle against this earthly flesh every day of our Christian life. Please turn to Romans chapter 7 for a moment. In Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul describes the state that every single Christian that has ever lived is in while in this earthly body. We're going to start with verse 14 of Romans chapter 7. Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do I allow not. For what I would, that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself served the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. We're not dealing with the redemption of the soul here. That's already redeemed. We're dealing with the earthly body, the flesh. And Paul says that we will be delivered from the body of this death. Paul hated what the body stood for. It stood for death. And being in the body is a physical death sentence for every one of us that ever lives. Just like close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, then it is sure that we all have the certainty of death and taxes. So whether you die or you are caught up alive to be with Christ on that great day, this body has to perish. Amen? We will then put on a new body because Paul tells us that flesh and blood, which we inherit now, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 51-58, tell us this. But look at verses 17 and 20 in Romans 7. Paul makes this interesting statement twice. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Here, Paul is making a distinction between the two natures that the Christian carries about the inward man that has been redeemed, verse 22, and the body or members, verse 23, that are condemned to dust. And Paul also tells us that the law of sin is in every single member of our body. Why is this? Well, it's because the body died in the Garden of Eden. Now, every one of us understands the struggle we have with the flesh as Christians, right? Paul even said in 1 Corinthians 9, 26-27, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body, and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, 
when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Our body or members must be put to death daily so that the Spirit of God can have control. And once again, we don't need to elaborate on this point. We all know that the new and the old nature is in the greatest battle known to man. But as we continue to walk in the Spirit, we will, while still in the body, do righteousness, because we love God and we want to please Him. It will come naturally. And praise God, we don't have to do it alone, for the Holy Spirit inside of us is our helper. And He teaches us to say no to sin and unrighteousness. Titus 2, 11-12 Now let's get to the meat of the matter. Our text today in verses 1-3 through tell us that we are so loved by the Father that He now calls us His sons and daughters. Let's read that together, beginning with verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. John says that we will be like him when we see him. And that if you have this great hope, you purify yourself just as Christ is pure. What a statement. Pure. The word in the Greek means that you are properly clean or innocent, modest, perfect, and chaste. Does that sound like you today? I tell you, it doesn't sound like me, but the word of God says that I am. What John is saying here is that if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are pure before God because we have our hope in Christ Jesus. This, my friends, is the reason why our salvation is so great. This, my friends, is why we know that we are God's forever. Jesus did it all, and now when God sees us, he sees Jesus Christ. Amen? He sees no sin because Christ is and always has been sinless. Oh, the power of his blood. This is the basis of being eternally secure in Christ. God didn't mess around or haphazardly send Christ to die, but it was well thought out so that it would be complete and thorough and forever. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 34 confirms this very fact. Paul says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? 
Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. It is like the wonderful hymn that we sing, and the old account was settled long ago. It is finished, the account fully paid, we have been set free. Hallelujah. This being a fact, we begin to see what John is saying in our text this morning. Let's read verses 4 through 9 of 1 John 3. Paul says, Whosoever committeth, I'm sorry, John says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. The phrase, doth not commit sin, means that sin is no longer habitual. It doesn't mean that you will never sin. It is all in that little word commit. Poieo is the word in the Greek, and it means that you basically lie in wait to always sin. So many fall off the wagon at this point because of misinterpretation. As a Christian, sin is no longer habitual, folks. If you went along your merry way in your old life after you got saved, and then you just aren't being truthful with yourself. Habitual sin is of the devil. It is a matter of a heart that has not been changed by the Holy Spirit. And that last statement, For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God, this is the key to understanding what it means to be sinless and perfect. Real sinless perfection, not in the flesh, but in the new man. The word seed in verse 9 means offspring. Oh my goodness, you are now God's offspring. Just as you had children that were born, you are now born of God. It's a real thing. And because of that, just like DNA in your children, God's seed has made you who you are because you believed on Jesus Christ, his Son, as your Savior. That part of you that is eternal and regenerated by the Holy Ghost cannot sin because God cannot sin, and his seed remains in you. Because God's seed, the Holy Ghost, is dwelling in us, we are bent on doing what is right and just. And we strive for that all the time, don't we? It is now a natural thing for us to want to do righteousness. But the unregenerate soul does not know how, because he does not have the Spirit of God. This is our life 
as Christians on this earth, folks, learning to be holy and growing closer to God every day through His Spirit and the Word of God. But that eternal part of you that has God's seed cannot sin. It isn't possible, because God through Jesus Christ has made us clean, and now we can come boldly to the throne of grace. So until we put off the body of this death, Jesus Christ is our great advocate before the Father. When we do sin, Jesus stands in the gap between us and the Father. Our sin is no longer imputed, but we must confess that sin, the Bible says. We must let Jesus wash our feet, and then we need to get on with our walk down the narrow road. Hebrews 4, 14-16 says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We are clean in the inner man before God because of Jesus Christ. So we take our sin that we commit in this body to the throne of grace for mercy. We confess it and we will be given grace to help us not to sin by our one and only intercessor, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, what shall I say to all of these things? Well, live victoriously, brothers and sisters in Christ. We have all we need to do that and more, for his seed remains in us, and our eternal part cannot sin. What a thing to know as we move along our journey. Sinless perfection, only in Jesus Christ. Don't sin willingly, but strive daily to walk in newness of life. Amen.